Hey guys, I am so excited to share my conversation with Yann Palmer with you today. If you're familiar with Yann and her work, you know that she is this incredibly artistic soul who describes herself as a seeker. And of course, if you're familiar with me, you know that I can be practical to a fault. I um, I sometimes suffer from some insecurity around the fact that I'm not more of an artist's artist. And our conversation today is really about the push and pull of that. And I don't want to get too much into it because you can just listen to the conversation. But because I never actually had Yen mention her contact information at the end, I wanted to give you um, the resources where you can find out more about Yen if you don't know about her already. Number one, you can go to her website, which is yanpalmer.com. And if you want to find out more information about her two latest classes, they are called The Now Now and Naked Marketing. You can find the links in the show notes to this show at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash podcast slash zero two zero. So this is episode 20. So it's thiscan'tbethathard.com slash podcast slash o two o. With that, I am going to let the show begin. I do want to give you a quick warning that there is some colorful language in this episode. So if you're listening with kids, be forewarned. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. Yan Palmer, I am so excited to have you here. I'm really excited. How are you today? Um, Yeah. Everybody's here at home. (laughs) I know. In their remote corners of the world. How have you been? I have been so many things. I think that that's the safest way to answer that question for me because it's been such a dance. I've been dancing with these moments of like, oh my God, what's happening with moments of absolute just inspiration and excitement for the world, for for us emerging out of this and the world looking different than it looked, which I haven't been stoked about how it's looked for a while. And, um, but that with managing like, okay, I'm here home with my kids. I want to be present with them. And okay, my business is also falling apart and I have to reinvent my income and I need to be present with that as well. So there's been, there's been a lot of things. Lots of Yeah. And in order to be present with that, sometimes, at least for me, it's like, okay, kids, get out of the house. (laughs) I need some quiet and some brain space. Oh yeah. We have like, it looks like happy nature time, but sometimes for us, and I'm one of the very, very lucky people who can go outside right now and and live by a mountain that lets me do that. But sometimes it looks like me locking the door and setting a timer and being like, you're not allowed in this house for an entire hour. Do not come back. If I see you, you're losing a privilege. And they're like, okay. Yeah. As we record this, it is outside time on the schedule, which um, thankfully we've had really nice weather this spring and my kids have not had too many opportunities to be like, but I can't, (laughs) but it is, it's like, out you go. I don't care. Bring a book if you're bored, (laughs) but um, are you 
Yeah. Are you a, like- I am. I'm not always great about sticking to it for myself, but I feel like uh, scheduling has been the one way, you know, and my kids are older. They're more like your kids ages. So I've got a 10 and a 14 year old, but um, so I'm, I feel very fortunate right now to have kids who can have some independence, right. but the, um, but it's a mixed bag, right? They, they are able to be independent. And yet if left unchecked, they are they are coming and pinging me physically <laughs> 15 times an hour. Hey, um, is it possible for me to have a snack? Hey, I can't find the toilet paper. Hey, you know, whatever the thing may be. And I can hardly get anything done. So the way that I have dealt with that is I have created this daily schedule for each of them where they know what they're supposed to be doing at any given time. And that is like, but it's loose. that is what we try for. No, I know. I, I totally relate. Like, Scheduling is not my um, innate spiritual gift, as you might yeah. say, but it's something that when I learned how to do it, it has been transformative for me. It's like that thing with boundaries with kids. If they don't have a boundary, then they actually, the chaos gets to be too much and then they, it's actually worse for them. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like me trying to teach these kids that I've like let run wild in various ways over the years to now like respond to the schedule and to actually like them squirm about it but then at the end of the day to see that they actually feel more kind of grounded and more yeah I I don't know I'm like it's it's strange to watch myself convert to scheduling is what I'm trying to tell you I didn't see that coming but that's funny well I actually have a version of that story when Oliver was a newborn I had this oh I'm just gonna bring in a you know bring a baby into the world and it's just gonna like follow me around all the time. And I'm going to put him on my back. And we're just, I was living in New York city at the time. Like he'll just go everywhere with me and do everything with me. And, um, by the time he was six months old, I like something had to give the sleep schedule was terrible. I was co-sleeping and like, there was no, no one was sleeping at any time. And I finally, and I was just letting him lead everything. Mm-hmm. As a six-month-old, you know, that makes perfect sense. Should, it made sense to me at the time. Charge for sure. Well, there's a balance to be struck. Anyway, and I I can't remember. I read a book and I was talking to his pediatrician. And finally, I was like, I am going to give putting a real schedule in place a shot and see if that helps. And it was like magic. Within two weeks, our whole lives had just sort of come together. And it was all about like, I'm just going to create some structure. And then everything, he just, he started sleeping through the night. And oh man. So irony, the beauty of like, wait creating structure will actually create more freedom. <gasps> yeah. Huh. Totally. Yeah. yeah, this this the um scheduling structure that I use for my own time is um I learned from a woman who um has a podcast, she's a life coach and she has a podcast that I listen to and she teaches this method where you brain dump everything at the beginning of the week that's in your mind of any kind, like I have to change the light bulb in the bathroom or whatever it is all the way to your like big goals. And then you break all that down and you put it all on a schedule and then you throw away the list of things. So all of that stuff is time blocked out. And, and her thing is when she first tells people that 
I mean, that's a very basic version of the, of the thing. It's more complicated well, than my that. My mouth but open because when... that's literally exactly what I do. Like I've never heard this. Oh. It's exactly what I do. I start with a huge dump and then I lock it into like the days and the time slots. And so it's man. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'll send you this episode that she details this because it really changed the way that I do it. But it, um, her argument is people will say like, uh, I can't be, I can't be, you know, penned into that kind of structure. And she was like, but what I have is freedom because I am not beholden to this list at all times. And also, so. and also mental freedom, right? Because that's the thing is that yeah. if, if it's not living on the page, it's living in our brain. And then we're carrying that around like an anxiety, right? Like that little thing that's hanging over you that you know is there, but you're pretending to not know it's there. 100%. Yeah, no, and I, I, um, that's, I mean, I think I'm not unique in this way. That sort of thing will wake me up in the middle of the night where it's just like, oh, I have all these things that need to get done. And so, he yeah. said, I like, don't, I like mess up my schedule all the time. <laughs> all the time. Oh, gosh. I'm, I feel like I have to go to confession about that. I'm like, let me tell you how organized I am. I know. In theory. <laughs> I know. Just in case people are getting the wrong idea. No, yeah. I, I, wish, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could claim. You know what we're going to do? We're going to rewind just a little bit. We jumped right in, which I knew we were going to do, but I wanted to take a minute and have you, I will, after we have our conversation, I will record a little intro to this, but I would love to have you introduce yourself because it is hard to do justice. Oh, you did, that's not fair. That's one of the best parts about being on a podcast is that you won't have to. You know what the hardest thing for me in the world is to say anything that I am definitively down to my freaking name. I have like set names ah. because it's so hard. And the reason for that is because... Um, I believe so much and it's not about what we do. It's about how we do it. It's about how we are. It's about our presence. And I know that we have to use all of these statements and labels and categorize categorizations in order to make sense to people, which I'm going mm-hmm. to get to, but I need to state my principles and my philosophy. Please do. But like my favorite, I wish, I wish we could introduce ourselves in a way that just was like, I am, I am, I'm, I'm what you see unfolding in front of you right now because I think we're so complex. But uh, some of the things I do, I'm an artist, I'm a photographer, I'm a teacher, um, I'm a writer and a poet and like a wild woman and a mother. I have three beautiful children. We live in Utah. Um, I, I think that's enough, right? That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Those are big, important things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so walk me back a little bit to your beginnings in photography and how that became, um, not just an avocation, but a vocation for you. Okay. I want to add to the, to my list too. I want to also say I'm a seeker. I'm a seeker. So I think that will tie into how photography came about or maybe not. You know how, have you ever heard uh, writers say that depending on when they tell a story or wrote a story, they would have told it a completely different way? Sure. I always feel that way when I'm answering questions, but the the myth of how I started my photography business, myth is in like the mythic realm of it, is actually, and this is factually what happened, we were dead broke. We were dead broke. And um, my 
partner, my husband at the time, we're divorced now. I've been divorced for eight years, but he was at the end of his rope because he was a musician and we were like two pretty young, um, naive kids trying to like jump through the hoops of surviving and, and making a living in the world. But we were both artists and both like had these ideals and these like purest like concepts. And he'd been having to like not do anything creative and be in school full time and also work like a nine to five government job. And he basically just had a meltdown one night in bed and was like, I can't go to work tomorrow. And it was like, it sounds so dramatic, but it truly was this sort of epiphany type moment where I was like, it's my turn. I'm like, it's my turn. Okay, I'm going to step up to the plate. What can I do? Um, I'm a pretty good creative problem solver. I maybe knew one person who owned a photography business. I didn't even own a camera, but I was just like, I'm going to start a business. That is, you know, there's jokes, lots of jokes in the photography world of like the low barrier of entry. And those jokes are true. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I did, I did it in all of the ways, um, you know, that people will say that you shouldn't do it, which is. I put an ad on Craigslist before I even owned a camera and it was very passionate because we were at rock bottom. And when you're at rock bottom, you don't have anything to lose. So you're just like, I'm going to just put it all out there. And I, and I said, are you tired of boring JC Penny portraits? I will photograph you how your family really is. Hire me. And I told myself if people responded, I would go get a camera and they did. And so then we used our tax return that, just came in and I went and got the Canon Rebel and started taking pictures. So I think it's, it's ironic. I feel like now in my career, I have an op, a, a reputation for being um, so much about the art of photography and the art of business and the art of things. And it's ironic that I actually just jumped into being a photographer because I needed cash. Yeah. But the reason I had the confidence to do that is because I always, um, I think that art is also about a way of being, a way of looking and noticing the world. And I, like so many other people, always had this kind of deep sense of the way I see the world has so much magic and beauty in it. I wish I could share it with people, but I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And so that moment was like a perfect, you know, convergence of forces that were like, okay, okay, you can jump into this bigger attempt to like show the way you see the world and you can try to make money at the same time. Hang on guys, I have a quick message for you. Did you know that This Can't Be That Hard isn't the only podcast I host? Each month, my marketing director, Dana, and I team up to bring you a fresh injection of marketing ideas and inspiration on our other podcast called The Consistency Club. The podcast is free and available to any photographer looking to uplevel their marketing game, or you can take it one step further and join the Consistency Club, where you get the extended version of the podcast along with monthly email and social media templates, bonus trainings, and special access to the live marketing events we host twice a year. If you're interested in tuning in, you can search for and subscribe to the Consistency Club wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join us in the membership, you can visit go.thiscantbethathard.com slash club to sign up. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because I feel like you're right. That is uh, many of us, most of us, I think, fall into 
photography as a business sideways. Like, yeah. like <laughs> how was, did I end up? Yeah. yeah. Oh God, here I am running a business. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I think however you end up falling into that, you know, there are very few people. <laughs> I And it's a good thing that that's how we get into it because otherwise no one would do it because no one would sit down being like, I'm going to go into business for myself. What could I possibly do? I know what I'll do. I'll take pictures <laughs> and beg people for money for them. Um, that is not a good business plan. But the um, but I think, yeah, it is the the that falling sideways into it. Part, part of that is an artistic experience uh, experience in and of itself. It's that vulnerability. It's that putting yourself out there and like making that leap, but it is then finding yourself a good landing spot is a whole new adventure, creative and otherwise. <laughs> it's a quote unquote journey. It's a journey. <laughs> um, yeah. And it is not the destination, but the journey that counts. Um, if we're going to sit here and quote Calvin and Hobbes, but, um, but yeah, well, and so that was, I think you've been in business longer than I have. Like, what did you say? 14-ish years ago? Almost 13. Okay. I can always tell because it was when my second daughter was three months old and she's yeah. 13 now. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about, and the reason I say this is because you said you placed an ad on Craigslist which at the time, I guess you could still post photos. Did you even put photos with that ad? I don't think so. I mean, can you imagine? I remember when um, I got married, uh, which was in 2004, and this was before, I think the knot was like a brand new thing, mm. but there was so little, there were very few online resources for wedding planning. And, um, and I remember at some point it occurred to me that, oh yeah, we should hire a photographer. Like this a whole different lifetime ago. <laughs> and, um, and we hi hired a friend of a friend who was like, Oh yeah, I'm into photography. And that was it. I never saw any of the work and like, we got what we paid for pretty much. But, um, I, I, was, but, I was that person. <laughs> I could have been your lady. <laughs> yeah, that would have been different. I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it is. Uh, I just, I, Oh, back to what I was saying that like, I feel like the um, entry into photography now, I mean, it's so, the, the landscape is so different, right? There's so many photographers. It's so competitive. That concept of like, hey, I'm going to take pictures of your family that, you know, look like you feel or whatever. That's now you have to come up with some crazy thing to say to stand out from a crowd. Right. Like that concept is like now a platitude we know very, very well. And it's right. not enough to... To yeah, load a bit. I uh, yeah. I'm glad I got into it when I did. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I was so naive and just just you know, bless me for being so naive because I wouldn't have tried half of the things that I tried because I would have known better and I would have been so afraid sure. that I would look stupid. But one of the things I did, I remember googling, okay who is like the established photographer doing what it looks like I'm trying to do. And won't they want to give me all their information? And so I emailed them and was like, new photographer on the scene. Uh, how do you market? Like basically was like, how do I get people to know this about me? And, yeah. and she was very gracious and was like, okay, well, that's a longer conversation, but here's a place you can go to learn. And she sent me to a forum. 
Yeah. And then it was like, then it was baptism by fire into the world yeah. of, oh, this is like actually how to do this in a serious way. Maybe even too serious for me. I was like, you can't, yeah. you can't see me. So I guess the fact that I'm making really hunched shoulders is not effective at all. hiding in the corner well I am yeah but I also think it's so important to have that period of naivete at the in the beginning um to your point because you know it's like a baby being willing to butcher language as they try and being willing to fall and fall and fall Mm -hmm. as they're trying to learn to walk you know when as adults, when we try and pick up a new language and we're embarrassed about our like butchery of grammar and syntax and vocabulary and accent and all those things, we hamper ourselves so much. So Um, true. And I can't tell you how many people I've, other photographers and artists I've talked to who have reminisced and been nostalgic for that period of, of being naive, but not because of that part, but because of the passion. And because of the, the permission that they were allowing themselves to lead with that passion and how it took them to, into taking risks that they don't, they no longer feel bold enough to take because they know better. And ironically, those risks are so often the things that lead to our breakthrough, right? Like our growth exists outside of our comfort zone. So that's something yeah. I try to remember, even as I like laugh and make fun of and self-deprecate like my younger self is that like, no, that willingness to like, to look stupid and to just lead with your excitement and love of something yeah. is powerful, really. Powerful. It is. And it's contagious. I think that that's inspiring to people on both sides of the, of the lens. Um, yeah. And that is for me, for sure the thing, when I look back at my old, you know, at my early work, the photography itself, um, I see errors galore and terrible editing because the early 2000s were not a good time for that, but um, we'll blame it on that. (laughs) But the- uh, My editing was my art. I was like, you've never seen anyone saturate colors like this before. Just like- The scrunch filter is going to blow your mind. Get in line for this. This (laughs) oh god yeah so anyway but I see you know the the feeling behind the photos in a way that I you know I have to really struggle to reconnect with these days because it is now it's like so much uh it's a job I mean our work is a job on certain days like some days you feel the the passion and some days you don't want to get up and go to work just like any other job. Just like any other job. That is yeah. true. Well, tell me a little bit about um, that for you as far as uh, once things started to pick up and then once you got to a place where it was that critical mass, because I do feel like most people have that turning point in their career where it's like, okay, I have to make this work on a more... Um, I have to make this more sustainable and profitable because those are two of my big pillars here on this um, podcast. So we're, we're going to talk about profitability and sustainability a little bit, but um, yeah. How- buzzwords is the sustainability one. And yeah. that one took me like, I was on a hard learning curve. I was operating my business because I entered it from a place of survival. 
-hmm. And because my superpower and the thing that did seem to work for me for so many years was that passion and how contagious it was, was that wholeheartedness, you know, like that's a very beautiful thing about my character, but every force needs a balance, right? Like nature will always exact the balance of things. And so just passion, just that fire isn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, if not balanced by structure and profitability. But for me, it, I mean, I don't think I learned that lesson. And it's been, I've, it's only been in the last three years. I mean, I knew it. It was like that thing we talked about earlier that was hanging over in the back of my head. But like I was living from like job to job, you know, empty bank account to like big filling it up with a chunk. And it and eventually that anxiety of of me realizing that there were pieces of my business that I was consciously choosing to be in denial about that, like mm -hmm. it was floating itself. But the anxiety of the denial was like rising and rising and rising and it hit a breaking point and it hit a breaking point at the same time that a lot of other things in my life hit a breaking point and <laughs> partially because I am can am naturally a little bit of an extremist shocking I stopped and I paused everything because by the time it hit that breaking point some of my poor business practices had been going on for so long that there was so much backlog right, right. so much that needed to get untangled and started, right. and there needed to be a, a reconciliation, right? So yep. in order to even untangle that, I had to create enough space to sort of pause so that I could really, really look at it. And that was um, about three years ago. I don't know, I'm, I'm really bad at timeline, so I might be butchering it. And that really helped shift me to one, appreciating business in a new way and and using that passion to fall in love with business too to understand that this is a creative endeavor just as much as the art of photography is and that to bring business in in order to be sustainable in order to not freaking lose my mind with anxiety mm -hmm. that I could fall in love with business I could bring it into my life as an art form and I didn't have to divorce my passion to do that I didn't yeah. have to sell out and to do that, I could actually grow big enough to hold space for both those things. I don't know if yeah. that answers your question, but it's a, it's a polyamorous sort of a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's right. No, the, um, I, I absolutely believe it. And I, I feel that way. And I told you this and part of the reason that I asked you on the podcast was this conversation that we had at the end of the family narrative um, and this year was the first time that, no, that's not true. I had met you in person years ago, but very briefly and not like just at a, in passing. Um, and you have always come across as this very much like an artist first and you speak your heart and all this stuff. And I, that is something that I really, um, I struggle with the wall. Mm -hmm. A lot because I, you know, I don't know, it's pretty classic, like first child, really good grades and like type A and all this stuff and high achiever or whatever and trying to reconcile that um I, and I I've this is not a secret really but I have like something of imposter syndrome many years in as a photographer mm -hmm. because of the 
just the artist thing. It's like I'm too uh, analytical and um, intellectual about it. And then when I get around people who are such um, art hearted people and sort of that comes first, I, I get that feeling of insecurity, despite the fact that like, I've been in business for a long time. My clients love my work. I can objectively look at it and be like, it's, you know, I'm fine. It's good. So, but that I'm just sort of pulling out the, like, I can rationalize or I can tell you how I feel. Right. We all have that duality. And, um, and so my impression had always been like, Yen Palmer and I, she's great. I love her. I love her work. We're very different people. And I'm sure that's true in many ways, but um, but this conversation that we had at the end of the family narrative was so, um, God, I mean, and my heart is always so open at the end of that conference because I just always feel so um, filled up in so many ways. But, um, but the, yeah, the conversation that we had about that, this exact thing about like having to marry these two things in our businesses mm-hmm. for it to work. I was like, wow, we came at this from completely different sides because I talk about at the beginning of my, um, you know, starting my business, whatever, I had somebody, a mentor tell me, you need to focus as much on the business as you do on the photography. Cause I was coming from healthcare. So I really didn't know anything about business. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just like took that and went with it. I was like, okay. And I took business classes while I was taking photography classes. And I just sort of focused on both of those things. And in retrospect, and knowing now, you know, hundreds and hundreds of photographers over the years that I've talked to, how unusual that story is and how lucky I was to have sort of sidestepped a whole lot of, um, right. I mean, I made plenty of mistakes, but I also saved myself a lot of uh, trouble over totally. the years. Um, which is sort of now that gospel that I preach, like <laughs> you can do this, you can, you can do that without having to sacrifice your artistic passion. Um, anyway, I just thought it was such a, like an eye opening moment for me. And I knew that my listeners would agree. So it's, it's music to my ears. Anytime, anytime we can make greater space for the both and as opposed to the either or is yeah that's one of my overarching passions in life as it relates to art as it relates to parenting as it relates to business is like oh if only we could understand the complexity and the the ver- the variety of each of us and stop hammering ourselves to fitting into just one category or the other we could understand each other and work together and better connect with each other so much better. Yeah. So I love that. I love that you shared that. And I love that we got to have that moment of that kind of like, Oh, like we're different, but also yeah. the opposite thing is the thing that makes us the same. And there, yeah. do you want to, do you want to learn a really big word that you'll forget right after the podcast? But yes. I looked it up right before this, cause I knew we were going to be talking about this. Um, I don't even know how to say it. I have to read it off of my phone. Okay. Uh, it is called um, Anantiodromia. I'm going to, this is going to be the title of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anantiodromia. Um, so Jung kind of, Carl Jung, the psychologist, kind of popularized mm-hmm. the concept, but it's actually way, way, way older than Carl Jung. It's from... 
a philosopher, pre-Socratic Greek philosopher, Heraclitus. But basically, it's the idea that all is flux, nothing is still, everything changes. And anytime we go in one direction really, really strongly, we are going to ultimately find that the seeming opposite of that direction is going to eventually rise. Mm-hmm. So that's what I see as happening to both of us, that perhaps you came in from this business direction. I came in from this like creative direction, but those other forces, the business person was in me. The artist was always in you. We were just insecure about it. So we didn't look at it, but you know, what's really cool is that there's this principle that even when we don't look at something, we might repress it. It's going to pop up. It's like a beach ball you try to press underwater. It's going to shoot up at some point and you're going to have to look at it. Yeah. 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 Um, it's sort of the, the pendulum too, sort of, you know, heading, heading back and forth and finding that uh, stability or stasis. I shouldn't say stasis. I do. I appreciate the, the ebb and the flow. And I actually feel like that is what um, keeps me going. I think most creatives are inherently short uh what's the word like short attention span like and I it's not even that I'm happy to go deep on certain things but it's um but I do find myself needing to constantly like I have to have a new idea I have to chase there was a woman that I went to college with uh she was on my freshman hall (laughs) and I remember it like the very first time I met her she you know you talk about what are you going to study and she was like I'm a biomedical engineering major. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) I don't even know what that is. (laughs) And, um, and she sure as can be like, that was what she graduated with. I'm still friends with her on social media. That is what she does. Like that has just been her entire life, which I think is sort of engineering typical Uh that, you know, you know what you're going to do and you just do that thing. That is not me. And I've had, you know, the, the crazy, uh, career paths that show for it. But I feel like we all have this kind of bright, shiny, shiny object syndrome to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like being able to tap into the artistic side for a, a while. And then if that starts to feel like it's not enough, you know, moving in and focusing on the business side of it, there's creativity to be found in so many areas. Yeah. And, and let's let us get rid of the fluffy, really shallow concepts of what it means to be an artist and what it means to be a business person, right? Because I feel like we're operating from very like base level, narrow stereotypes of those things. Yeah, this is true. You know, when I hear you say that you, because of your analytical mind and other qualities, it it made you feel like you had imposter syndrome about being an artist. I'm like, are you joking me? Do you know how many anal retentive artists there are with like that their analytical mind is the thing that allowed them to uh, construct these elaborate radical worlds of art that have like stood the test of time and changed our entire world. I'm like, you only, you, you thought that because we perpetuate this very like weird, shallow stereotype of like, it's like the romanticized idea of an artist and it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> it's total bullshit. No, I totally agree. And that, I mean, that's on me. Like that is, I mean, it's also on our society, but it's, well, and same with that is, it's a sort of a naive viewpoint of that. 
Well, same with business that if you're into business that you're boring or you're good at business because you're not good at art or that to be a business owner means that you're good at like the logical order stuff. And that means that you must not have like an energetic, interesting, fascinating personality that it drives me crazy because I want to, I want to learn from people who are, um, who are of the intelligence level that they understand that every one of these things that we divide at their highest level, at the highest level of science, at the highest level of literature, at the highest level of art, there is a convergence. And it becomes um, that at the highest and deepest level, it's all interconnected, affecting and, and ebbing and flowing together. So, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, I do, uh, feel like that concept of art requiring boundaries is such a, you, we talked about that too. And it, for whatever reason, what you just said, just jogged me about that, but, um, about how it's almost like when there are infinite possibilities, it's impossible to move forward. Mm -hmm. And when there are constraints, And so for me, when it comes to business, you know, it's like, I have to make a certain amount of money. How is that going to, how is that going to (laughs) work? How am I going to make that work? Um, Or, you know, there's only so many hours in the day or in my work week. And how can I, how can I build this out in that way? And that it's like a puzzle. It is a puzzle. And what creativity, what we know about creativity is it loves the challenge. It loves the restriction. That's actually when creativity gets its chance to shine. And rather than interpreting the challenge as a defeat, it's saying, how can we think about this in a way no one has thought about it up to now and create a solution, which is among the most beautiful creative acts in my Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that as it pertains to your art and your business. Where, how do you divide those things up? Where shall I begin? I, I do think where division is necessary is to understand the pieces. Before we understand how all of these pieces relate to each other, we have to understand how they function and exist separate, right? So being able to kind of regard yourself and, and ask and take an inventory, okay, what is my artist self need to feel nourished right now? What does my creative self need? They're getting hungry. They haven't been fed for a little while. Um, And then realizing that it's no one's job to feed that self Mm -hmm. besides yours. It's actually your job to do that. Same with business, like being able to take inventory and be like, okay, where's my business hungry? Where Where is that piece of me that needs security? that craves the sustainability, that craves some amount of structure so that I don't feel like I'm operating by the seat of my pants every day of my life. Right. That piece of me need right now. And then when you can carry that inquiry and look at the problem in front of you, you now have a frame of thinking where you can say, how can I solve this problem and feed all of these various pieces? that are I know are living inside of me right Right. but so often these pieces starve themselves out because of our narrow way of regarding ourselves and and denying that no there's a piece in me that needs that and wants that so for instance with like the quarantine with the pandemic right 
it hits. I mean, and there's, it's a really difficult thing to talk about because everybody experiences it in so many layers of awareness, privilege, like my pandemic is so different than anybody else's pandemic and yours. And so in a lot of ways, my experience of the pandemic is extremely privileged. I have a safe house with nobody here that is hurting me in my house that I'm staying home with. I have access to nature. In other ways, it's incredibly challenging. My income is based in travel, is based right. in something that um, for the unforeseen future, my access to that is cut off. Right. So now we have that conundrum. Now we have that creative challenge. I'm sitting here like, okay, how can I, um, well, not like uh, be able to not feed my kids? Um, but also try to create a solution that makes money in a way that doesn't reinforce systems that I think are broken, mm -hmm. that nourishes the artist in me, that nourishes this other piece in me, this, this, this caretaker piece that really, really sees the pain that's being revealed and what's happening and really, really wants to share my experience in a way that can help and ease that pain how can I create a solution that responds to all of those things? Yeah. And, and when you find something that solves every one of those problems, that's like a, that's like a home run that happens a few times in a lifetime. It usually, sure. it usually takes a little bit more diversity in your solution in order to fit all the pieces. But one of the things is that I did, um, I started a class that we price mm -hmm. really, really low, that we open not just because I, I have a strong element of teaching in my business. That's where also I get a lot of my income. So I was like, okay, I can try to hold on to that piece, but I can make it available not just to photographers. I can make it available to everyone and I can use it to share practices that during the quarantine, because of how challenging and because of how much people are being traumatized by the amount of loss that's happening, I can help put out some skills that can help them navigate their experience and create a sense of community in a really isolated time. So yeah. that satisfied the creative in me that wanted to come up with something, but it also satisfied the caretaker. And I priced it at a price point where it'll and made it available to a larger number of people so that right it made enough money that I'm not bankrupt for another month. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's, yeah. that's I think that answers your question. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that it's important for, you know, I have a wide ranging audience and some people are pretty new and there are a lot of people who have been in business for a long time, but um one of the things that I talk about, I teach about pricing and, you know, structuring things in a, in a, in a way that is profitable and people get oftentimes when they're looking at their numbers for the first time and really looking at their needs and all that sort of stuff, they come to a number that they feel really uncomfortable with about what they need to charge. And my response is always, look, great. Now you have that number and you understand that is not to say that you're instantly going to be able to fill the number of sessions that you would need to get at that number, right. but better right. to price yourself there and get fewer and supplement somewhere else. Yes. 
And the other side of that arch is if you start out and let's say that you take a job making coffee or whatever it is, you know, to supplement your photography income while you're building your client base, there comes a time in most photographers' trajectory over the years where they don't want to fill their entire calendar with as many sessions as they could possibly take on. And there is some kind of ceiling for their market about what they can charge. So then it's like, if you think about throwing a ball in the air, like at the top of the parabola, then you're coming down and it's like, okay, I wanna balance my income with something else. And so most photographers who have been around for a while, whether it's teaching or whether it is, I mean, there are all kinds of different things, but diversifying your income is definitely a piece of the, the puzzle at all times of an artist's career, I think. Right, right. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, it connects to what I was saying about like, you need to know what's hungry and what you need to feed. Yeah. And um, because I think that there's so much rhetoric about like, you know, once I, once I put that price point on my art, it stopped being art for me. And then you build up this resentment for like the people that you're supposed to be serving in business and like all of this, like back and forth. Um, and understanding like, know, know which pieces of your business are creating an income stream that you can show up that it doesn't like you don't show up with this creative entitlement of like this is my art and this is my like great work and contribution to the world but you're showing up and you're working hard because you need that stream of income right yeah. in order for you to show up to those beautiful occasions where you do get to fully embrace your art that you can yeah. do so with um knowing that your sustainability piece is covered, like your security piece is covered. And, and also here we can like set ourselves free a little bit and nourish the artist piece yeah. and save some, save some like inner war battle. But diversifying yeah. income streams is, is like the path to do that. And it's not, yeah. there's so much opportunity in it that I would wish for photographers that they would allow themselves to explore. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's, it can be hard to wrap your head around it. Being an entrepreneur is hard. <laughs> it's awesome, but it is, it sure does have a lot of like, well, where is the, where is the mile marker on this particular hike? Like, I can't. I know. Have you seen the meme that's like, do what you love and you'll never, no, it's Adam Gand, I think is the artist, but it's like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Oh. But he crosses it out and it's like, do what you love and you'll work like super fucking, super hard, fucking every hard. single minute of your life and have no boundaries, you know, like, yeah, that can totally. feel like the life of the entrepreneur sometimes. The red and blue crayon really yeah. underscore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, and it's totally true. And yet it's, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like, I feel like it's such a, it just gives you so much, it gives me so much energy. Yeah. And I want to, I like this idea that we wouldn't trade our troubles for anybody else's troubles. We all love to like, can we swear on the podcast? I don't know. Yeah. We all love to bitch and moan about the things that are hard in our particular field. But at the end of the day, like, would you really trade that in for like the nine to five? Right. Do you think? What do you think? Um, I'm still a little obsessed though. Like the creative problem solver in me is like, we don't have to lose our lives to our entrepreneurship. Like, mm -hmm. um, because I'm a recent convert to the beauty of boundaries, I'm particularly passionate about it. And I'm like, yeah, there's a way for us to work smarter 
and mindfully instead of harder and instead of wanting to kill yourself at the end of the day because you're so exhausted and it never stops. There's a way. We're going to find that way together, everybody. Join hands. We're going to get there. (laughs) So the book I'm reading right now is called Rocket Fuel. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I'm listening to it, I can't tell you who it's by, but it's a business book. I'm sure there's only one of them that's called that. Um, And the concept here is that at the head of a business, and they're talking about like big businessy business, um, there is a a visionary and an integrator. Mm -hmm. And so typically that would be like a CEO and a COO or like a CEO and a president or something. But um, the visionary is the one with the ideas and sort of the hot mile high view of what, you know, what we're going to do. And this is the direction we're going to head in and whatever. And the integrator in a functional business is the person who figures out how to make that work and then puts those like structures in place and like runs, you know, this is how it's, you're responsible for this and you're responsible for this. And they're the sounding board for the visionary. And they say, that does not, this new idea is out of alignment. I want an integrator in my life. (laughs) I have one. I have a couple. This concept of integrator is also changed my life. My assistant is very much my integrator. Her name is Christina. Everybody should have one. But also on recent projects, I've been partnering with people with that skill set for that reason. Because if I'm playing to my strengths, it is much more the like, I will have all the exciting ideas, which I feel like such a schmuck about sometimes, but whatever, I am what I am and I'm proud of it. Um, I can actually do the other part too. It's just not where, it's just we all have a limited amount of time in the day. And because you're good at some pieces, doing them all is not always time effective. So partnering with people, which I bet you would have a lot to say about as you've you've partnered with people that complement your skill set, that can be the integrator and the bring the structure. (sighs) Cause man, hard to teach an old old dog new tricks. Let me tell you, maybe. Totally. And that's especially because photography has that low barrier to entry and everybody goes into it on their own and everything else. Like we don't even consider those are for many of us, they're not even worlds that we have ever explored. So then it just seems so like, but I'm rolling in this direction. Now I'll have to stop and like roll and learn a new thing. And it just seems so hard. And, and also like, we're looking around and kind of thinking like, because imposter syndrome is not a unique human experience, pretty much every human experiences imposter syndrome. So we're looking around thinking that everyone somehow knows how to do it, but, but nobody really does. Like everybody yeah. is just in that same place of like, we're the blind leading the blind. Like that's humanity. That's what it is to be alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so what I would say to people who it is new and overwhelming is like, remind yourself if, if you feel like an imposter, just remind yourself everybody else is too. Everybody. And like, let's just be compassionate and laugh about it together. Yeah. I don't know if you've had that conversation with your daughter yet. Um, Oliver and I have had a few conversations now he's 14 and uh, about how And especially, of course, for them, they're teenagers and these kids that they look up to who are maybe six months older than them or a year older. um, I'm like, you, they don't have any idea any more than you do. (laughs) 
<laughs> and truly, neither do I. We're all flying by the seat of our pants. I know. Oh, and isn't that the, okay, did you have the moment where your 14-year-old realized because that, that was true that then they looked at you and then they realized, you're doing it too. You just, you're, you're flying by the seat of your pants. Oh my God. And I'm like, yeah. uh-huh. With a few more skills and a few more battle scars on board, but yeah, totally. But I think if that's a human experience that we have, especially that rite of passage that is so ripe and tender at that age, 13 and 14, then it means that there's a lesson in that absolute self-doubt that is valuable that we need, Yeah. right? And so we could spend our time feeling really, really shitty about it, or we could be like, it's okay to just feel like crap about this and just yeah. you know and it's even when we can't feel it teaching us whatever it is it needs to teach us it's doing some work on you i've got some invaluable yeah. lessons from those years i would much rather forget you know? <laughs> yeah can't go around it <laughs> gotta go through it <laughs> um well it has been no surprise to be such a lovely time chatting with you. I was thinking about it when I was getting ready to, um, to, for this call, <laughs> I was like, one of the many things that we have in common is one of our names. Cause I grew up as Anna. Um, my, like my full name is Anami, but my parents to this day call me Anna. And, um, well, can you so give me permission to be really cheesy for a second? Sure. Okay. Because I experienced the world so much in metaphor, I am seeing the paradox of us being these seeming opposites. You're literally wearing black. I'm literally wearing white. <laughs> and at our core, we find out that we both grew up even by the same name. I know. How cheesily beautiful. Like I'm 100% cheesy and I love it. I'm deeply satisfied by this. Yep. 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 Me too, actually. And lots of metaphors on this show. People are, know me for my metaphors, cheesy ones too. Well, and I could argue with you all day about how you are actually so ridiculously artistic. And I think you know that now, but like your ability for metaphor and language being one of the ways that is really impressive to me. I always like you say words. What'd you say today? P param Oh, parabola. Parabola, which is like, <laughs> it's also like, like it comes out of your mouth like a party for one. And also who says parabola? It's like, do you have a, do you have like a, an app, a vocabulary app? What are the secrets? No, no I was the dork who just spent my entire childhood reading. So, you know. Me too. Me too. Uh, Me too. Yeah, Anna. <laughs> I love it. Well, Yan, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I hope that the rest of your period of uh, homeboundedness is full of all kinds of surprise and delight. Um, it but be, It will be. Thank you so much for having me. It was yeah. my pleasure. I'm going to hang up. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.